Hey guys, welcome to another Coffee Life podcast. This is Sean Scott uh, with my radio voice. I'm just kidding, not really, but <laughs> I always feel, re- you know, I, I think that's one of the things in listening to people, and I'm with Dusty Redmond today uh, of the the band Beloved and Crenshaw Pentecostal, most of you probably know him from Crenshaw now, uh, locally. But I always find it funny, dude, and I don't know if you if you notice this, but when people, when they're talking and they hit a mic, they almost get like that preacher voice. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah. what? Yeah. What was that? Yeah, I don't know. The preacher voice is great. Amanda's grandpa does that when he prays. We talk like this, and then at the blessing, he's like, oh, gracious and loving Heavenly Father. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the mic does the same up. thing. Yeah. So if I ever do that, then uh, just throw something at me, because it's, it's funny. It's like a pet peeve of mine, but... Anyway, uh, I'm I'm uh, stoked to be here to uh, talk with Dusty though because I I didn't know uh, how uh, just people love the band Beloved around here. You know, you guys stopped playing what in 2006? Yeah, the last show was it 2000? I can't remember, man. 2006 maybe. I mean, it's yeah, it's a while ago. It's been a long time. But it was funny because you know I've only been here for a year and a half and. um, I first heard about the band because I was looking at a warehouse downtown. I guess you guys played there, and then your the name came up, a few, and I thought you were a current band because so mm-hmm. many people were like, "Oh, beloved, beloved, beloved," and I'm like, "Who are who are these guys?" Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but I actually met uh, Dusty's wife Amanda. I had her on the podcast before. Uh, they're a pretty creative couple, um, and. Uh, have have had him over a few times since, but just a good dude and and they're um, a great musician. So I kind of uh, as a former former musician, um, I always like guys that do their craft well. Uh, but they're playing. Um, Beloved is playing uh, some reunion shows, and so I thought it'd be an appropriate time to have him on and kind of talk about the. Uh, the kind of past journey because I I've never heard before. So I just want to hear the story and, and kind of what brought them back together for these shows and furnace fest, which he kind of brought me up to speed on last week when they were over for dinner. I, I'm kind of ignorant to that too. So just a lot of local uh, music history uh, sitting in front of me. So dusty, uh, thanks for coming dude. And, and uh, so give me the, give me the scoop on, on how it all started. Like what, 20 years ago when you guys yeah, something first like that. So, the majority of the band when we started, I'll kind of give you a quick rundown. Like, we all went to East Forsyth High School in Kernersville, and uh, really, uh, Joe Mustin, our who became our drummer and, and kind of like the screamy voice of the band, um, really kind of the heart and soul of the band, um, and a few other guys, uh, a guy named John Brim, who now owns a tattoo shop in Kernersville. Um, we were all friends, but they kind of started playing in a heavy band together. They started this band beloved and it was, um, you know, this like metal core Christian band. And, um, I was more kind of like the punk rock type stuff. And, um, but I was buddies with those guys. So I kind of wanted to, to kind of join up with them. So, you know, they weren't far. It's not like they were playing shows or anything. It was still just like a basement band in John's parents basement. They were just jamming. So I was like, oh, I want to come over. And man, I could, I could, I didn't know how to play any of that stuff. It was like this, like 
kind of like speed picking, like like metal and not anything like what we became. And um, kind of quickly, like we started getting songs and it kind of turned into this more like rocky, hardcore kind of thing. And um, a few guys kind of came and went. Um, Matt Harrison, our other friend from high school, um, he joined the band as another guitar player. Um, when we started, Josh, our singer, wasn't even in the band. He was two years younger. And uh, Joe was the only vocalist. He, like, sang and screamed. So, like, we've got this, like, we made, like, a nine or ten song album that, like, a few people probably still have. But it, uh, Joe did all the vocals. Or actually, it was an EP. We did, like, a four-song EP. He sang. Because if, if, you know, I did... I've I've done my homework and and I've listened to some some of their music and watched some of those videos. I don't know how you sing and scream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that <laughs> I was mean, like, I guess a lot of guys did it back in the day. Yeah, you know, well, that, that was being like a that was being like a seventeen year old. Yeah, yeah. You know, at right. seventeen you can do anything. You don't have any of those vocal notes. No, like yeah. <laughs> Joe's vocal cords probably look like like an Arby's sandwich now. <laughs> you know, it's just just shredded roast beef. Um. So, you know, like we kind of got together, Josh joined, um, we got a bass player, a guy named Johnny who lived in Mount Airy and that became like the core of the band, Matt, me, Joe, Josh, and Johnny. Um, we kind of just started doing shows. Like we, we would go out on the weekend, our senior year of high school, go down to Myrtle beach and play these hardcore shows. And we'd start meeting bands, um, on tooth and nail records. Uh, the band that eventually became Norma Jean, we kind of met up with them really early and we'd like, we'd go do shows with them in Myrtle beach or we'd get out of school on a Friday and head down to Atlanta and go play a hardcore show and come back. Um, so we started doing all this. So by the time we graduated, like college was not really on right. We kind of tried it, I think for about a semester and then like, then, <laughs> you tried it? yeah, uh, Joe went to work, Matt and I did it. Um, I just, my, I wasn't in it. Like I, I like, I would, I would go, I would leave for class and I would go like hang out with Joe at his house. But my parents under the guise that I was like going to class, it wasn't until like grades came in and I had like a 0.85 GPA at UNC Greensboro that they like really realized, you know, dude's not, dude's not doing this and his heart's not in it. So, right. Dude, we started going on tour eventually, man. We started going out with, with like bands at like Under Oath. We met them early and started becoming friends with them. All that led into uh, signing a deal with Tooth and Nail Records, the label that we wanted to sign with. You know, we were all Christian guys and thought that they were putting out awesome stuff. Yeah, I mean, back, back in the day, I mean, if for those of you that are listening, I mean, that, that was pretty much the label yeah. for... For anything, quote unquote, cool or like crossover. So that's one of the things I wanted to talk about today too. Did did you guys from the beginning just want to play Christian venues or because it sounds like in that scene, I mean, Norm, Norma Jean was the same way. I mean, there was, they probably played with more secular bands, oh, yeah. you know? So were you guys kind of part of that crossover movement from day one or? or? I mean, I think so. We never really... Um, we just wanted to play shows, man. So yeah. wherever the shows were and wherever our, kind of our tours were going, a lot sure. of those shots, like we didn't even really control. It's right, just like right, we're right. On a tour, and we're playing here. We're playing a church today. We're playing a dive bar tomorrow. Right, right. But for us, we just wanted to play shows. And you know, for us, I think our heart probably 
was more into like, hey, let's just go play like more of a normal show. Yeah. You know, playing a church's sanctuary. Right, right. Yeah, it is, yeah. is always weird vibes, like right. for like a hardcore show. <laughs> right. You know, I don't care what you say. It's always, it's always like weird vibes. It's so true. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I would, I would say that we probably um, were more into that. Were you guys, uh, before you got signed, did, did you do any um, opening tours or, or is it primarily? Oh, yeah. After? I mean, we were like, so we were doing stuff with like, they were called Ludacris at the time, Norma Jean, um, I know before Ludacris. the rapper. Yeah, for the rapper, Lutai <laughs> Chris. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we were friends with them. We toured with them. We toured with uh, this band Cool Hand Luke. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, we did a bunch of the Southeast stuff. Yeah, know? just kind of like more more regional stuff with those yeah, guys. Yeah, I mean, we did some nationals. And really, like, what's crazy is we got on um, when the first year Furnace Fest happened. um we got on, we were on tour with under oath, like going up to it. And we were, we just kind of got on like a stage that wasn't even like a real stage. And that, and that kind of like caught a lot of eyes for us. You know, Chad who put it on ran take hold records, which he ended up selling his catalog and, and joining tooth and nail later became our A&R guy. Um, that really kind of got us on his radar, which was, became one of the most beneficial things that we've ever done, you know? So, yeah, I mean, we, we, we did a lot of shows really before we really paid dues. Was there a, was there like a, one of those moments for you where, where like it was kind of like that, that pivotal moment or was it just, just a lot of relationships and a lot of shows that kind of led from one step to another? That, I mean, kind of both, man, really. It's like all those relationships kind of led to that furnace fest moment. And like, I mean, our show, like in my head, it's like, I'm seeing this show, like we're playing under this water tower and I was like, oh man, there was like (laughs) 500 people gathered around. I mean, in actuality, it probably wasn't that crazy, but I think like amongst kind of peers and in some bands that we really liked, like I go back and look, I found a stack of photos recently and went back and looked. I'm like, oh man, there's like, you know, Bruce from Living Sacrifice, who was huge to us. Like there he is like behind us and like dudes from Zayo are watching and like all these bands that we really looked up to were like kind of checking us out. So I think that moment kind of like put us on a radar and uh, dude, we were probably so bad too. Like I'm sure we weren't great. Um, but, uh, that moment just created more relationships, I think. So it was like those relationships that got us to that moment. And then from there it like kind of flowered. Yeah. Was there, was there a business minded guy in your group? Because I, th- I think that's what, you know, you hear it, you hear it time and time again. It's like the age-old story for so many bands, right? Just pumped to play. They're great live, excellent musicians, willing to sleep anywhere. And then they get hosed on the business side because none of them know mm-hmm. wh- what side's up. Did you guys have a good kind of business manager or did you just do no. everything on your own kind of learn not, on the fly too? Not, definitely not early on. And um, as we, you know kind of grew as a band um I don't know we we kind of shared responsibility in that but it was never anything stable and I think once we <laughs> you know were you that guy yeah yeah, yeah. I figured yeah. <laughs> you're the hustler for sure yeah. <laughs> um yeah I mean like Johnny our bass player like he became the guy um that would be more take charge with a lot of things like we kind of had our own little things like I would deal with our booking agent a lot Josh or singer and I we would handle stuff with our booking agent Tara at the time. And uh, 
So we kind of get that side set. Johnny would do a lot of other leg work. So, I mean, we kind of divvied some stuff out, you know, but um, it definitely, I mean, I, I think had we, had we been able to like establish like management that we were really comfortable with and, and, and that kind of business side of things, yeah. things might've been a little different, but dude, I mean, you're young. Right. What do you, what do you do? Right. You know? Yeah. So, so like how- why, why, like how, how the hell did my parents let like 18 year olds just like take off with a Rand McNally, <laughs> right. like Atlas on a crappy van know, across man. the country. It's all, yeah, but it's good. I mean, it's yeah. Amazing. Right. Right. It's a, it's a different, different type of lesson. Um, and that, I mean, what, I think a lot of people that if they didn't play music, you know, and I know this again, from my experience, everyone hears you going on tour and they're like, Oh, it, you're, you're going to kill it. It's the, you know, like you're living it up. And I mean, when you're starting out, you're damn near somewhat quasi homeless, right? Dude, like, like you have very little money. Yeah. You, you are sleeping in some sketchy places. Sometimes you don't know where you're going to sleep. You know, like you, someone's like, Hey, you can stay at my whatever. Yeah, asking, asking from the show. Hey, right. does anybody have a place for us to stay tonight? I mean, so it's, but when you're young, it's just fun, right? It's part of the adventure it's fun. and yeah. you're just kind of like with the dudes and, there's like naivety to it right. as well, which right. is crazy. Yeah, because stuff could go like yeah. looking back, like wow, totally. Forty-year-old me, like we were talking about, forty-year-old me, like ah, uh-uh, no way. Here's all the things that will go wrong. <laughs> right. But that's like nowhere on your radar when you're when and you're. And if 20. stuff does go wrong, no one has money to pay for it. No, or like <laughs> no, no. The van's broken down. Like where are we? We're in the desert. It's overheating. Right. Yeah. <laughs> blast the heat and pray to God like we can get through it you know there's a it's, speaking of dude there's this uh, there's a section in California and I, it's like central California but you're going up like a like a lot and we had a trailer and there was like nine nine people in the van and it's a hundred degrees and we're you he's not kidding you literally crank the heat on yeah and you're like we can't go over 35 <laughs> because the engine on cool yeah. yeah and you just do some funny I mean it's it's just and we did that quite often. Like whenever there was hills, we're just like, oh man, it was summertime. It's the worst. Yeah. You just had to really watch out. And it's like, how is it uphill all the time? <laughs> <laughs> not, not one break for the, not one break. Uh, but so what was your, what was one of your worst and best memories on tour? Like of like kind of surprises, like best place you ended up staying or playing. And then like one of the worst. Man, gosh. Um, uh, one of the best, one of the best, things we did and this was like later on once we were on on tooth and nail we uh we were doing the solid state records kind of showcase tour so it was us and it was us norma jean under oath uh dead poetic who i later joined for like a couple years and then haste the day so that was like that was like a list this great package i mean man we were rolling through texas and we were playing two sold out shows a night like we do one They'd empty the club, come right in, and we'd do it again. It was just insane. And like those are those moments where it's like, oh, man, this is so awesome. But as we got up to Seattle, that's where Tooth & Nail was from. Chad, who I was talking about, put on Furnace Fest. He was, I guess he was the A&R for all of us at the time. He was like, hey, we got a couple days off. I'm taking you guys up um, to like a ski resort. And he just like rented a cabin. And we cooked fillets. And it was just like the best and it's like all those guys you know are, are all old friends and it's like those are those moments where it's like you can kind of take a breath on tour and really be kind of grateful for 
for where you're at. And I've had a few of those moments where it's like, man, this is, you can slow down and just like realize, Hey, this is really awesome. And this is something I'm going to remember. Um, so many little things slip, you know, and like Joe from the band, that dude remembers everything. Like it's crazy. If somebody, if you know, we needed to give like an oral history of the band, Joe would be like, Oh, okay. So it was like, you know, September 14th, you know, we were in Bristol, Tennessee playing right, here, right. you know, and he like remembers the name of the club, probably the name of the promoter. Crazy. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, so those moments like really kind of fleeted. So that moment was just really incredible, man. Just like we were like sledding off the roof of this cabin into these like legitimate, like eight foot drifts. like drifts, yeah. just like boom, right. shooting down yeah, through. Yeah. So fun. Um, we had like a bunch of cool moments like that, man. But there was this one show we were in Pennsylvania and it was that type of moment earlier on when we weren't getting hotels and stuff. We're like, Hey, we need a place to stay. And, uh, I think, I think this band, these brothers are like two brothers and their band played the show and they were like gauntlet wearing metal band dudes. And they're like, Oh, you guys can stay with us. And we're like, okay. (laughs) You know, we had like literally, it's like, is there anybody else that we can, we can go to? And, um, and and everyone, I don't know if everyone remembers, but oh four oh five, there are no iPhones to check people's profiles. <laughs> you know, like 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 yeah. there, there's no checking up on yeah. people. That'd be so sick to get a DeLorean and go back in time and be like, oh, let me, give me give me a second, dude. I gotta check your socials real quick. <laughs> um, but uh, so we show up at these dudes' houses, and and they're they're young enough to where they live with their parents, but their parents are out are out of town, and they. They bring us like the basement area that they uh, they mostly hang in, and it's like immediately you walk in, and you're like, dude, weird smell, but not like not like weird like bo or like like bathroom odor. It was like that's a weird like pet shop smell, and so we look over and there's this massive like ten foot like terrarium with like a python in it. And the dude's like, you guys are sleeping down here. <laughs> and we're like, he gets out sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and dude, it's crazy. So it's like, um, we go in the bathroom and they have speakers wired in the bathroom, but not like in the nice current way. You know, these like, whatever, Iowa speakers, just blasting like old Pantera. And they've got like Pantera video cassettes everywhere. And they have these, uh, Dobermans that have like pooped all over the floor. Of of course. This I don't know if they feed this say. to the snake or what. Um, right. So anyway, we wake up in the morning. The snake's not in the cage. No way. Yep. We get out of there as fast as we can, man. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Joe would probably remember the name of of that those dudes' band. He'd but probably remember the the address. He remembers the name like. of the snake. To be honest with you, <laughs> oh, that is that. <laughs> that is that's near the top of the bad times. Yeah, but it's like that stuff that you remember, and it's hilarious. It's yeah, it's funny to talk about, right? Yeah, like you survived. No one got snake cuddled up in yeah. a sleeping bag. Just, you wake up and someone's wrapped <laughs> up in the big, big spoon, little spoon. <laughs> oh shoot! <laughs> yeah. So so uh, another part um, that's changed a ton since you guys were recording. And I know for us, it just started like home recording was just started back in 05. Cause I remember it was, it was way more expensive though. Right. It wasn't nearly accessible. So, um, do you miss, uh, that kind of 
like going into the studio was kind of was a big deal. Oh right? yeah. Like you just didn't sit down and record something and it sounds great. Like you could do demos at home, but they sound like demos. Right? Oh my gosh, man. It yeah. was it was just rough. But um yeah, so what what was that experience like for you guys? Did did you do a lot of your own engineering and sound stuff or did you have other no, people work on that for you? Nothing, nothing like crazy. So when we were getting ready to record the Failure Own album, we went to our friend Noel uh and Brian in Winston. And and they they did like some recording stuff. And theirs always sounded pretty good, but we didn't have a lot of money. And so we did like a super quick demo just of the record to send to the label and be like, hey, here are the songs. Here's what we're going to record. Give you kind of a general idea. Because our sound, like from like an EP we put out with them, we recorded that in high school. So by the time we got to Failure On, our sound was a little more dialed in and, you know, accurate to kind of like where we were. And uh, so the, the, demo we did with them like looking back it, it's crazy because it speaks a lot to where we are now it's like you know with Crenshaw it's like oh if we got a new song we'll just hit you know voice memo on the iPhone and that sounds way better than the track by track recording right. that we did at that time right, right. <laughs> um, so at that point we didn't have a ton of like recording experience but when we went in uh, to do failure on Tooth and Nail sent us in with this guy Garth Richardson and Garth had done the first and I think most highest selling Raging Against the Machine record. He'd worked with Ozzy Osbourne, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Nine Inch Nails, like all this stuff. Like, I mean, Garth is legitimately like legendary, right? Um, big studio in Vancouver. They're like flying you to Vancouver. We go in there and we are just, just five idiots, right, you know, right, like legit right. yeah, yeah. five kids working with professionals, yeah. like absolute pros. Um, we go in, we track the drums in a downtown studio called mushroom. And I think at that time, I don't know if he still does, but Chris Isaac owned that studio. Um, and like lover boy had recorded working for the weekend there. I remember that was like <laughs> one of the, like the, the platinum records yeah. on the wall. I was like, Oh cool, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to get those sounds. Uh, but, uh, so we go in and we track the drums and it's just everything, all that's still so new to us. And then, um, we spend a couple more weeks back, uh, at Garth's house and he's got like an amazing, like kind of compound studio at his house. And he's got a cabin that we live in, uh, on an Island called Gibson's right off the coast of Vancouver in January. It's like snow capped mountains and uh, it's beautiful. And you know, Vancouver's it's like, a pretty sick city, dude. And then, and yeah. then, uh, and in January, I mean, it was like fifty degrees. Right. It wasn't. Yeah, it's fairly big. mild, right? Yeah, it was really pleasant. Um, but it was just a whirlwind. You know, yeah. we were getting up and just like we had to hustle to get the record done. But we'd still, you know, just like getting through that. We're like, all right, what do we do? Kinda. Right, right. So we didn't have that that luxury of being able to like home record you know now with like Crenshaw it's like dude we'll just bounce tracks back and forth to each other right stuff like that it's easy I'm in my underwear tracking guitars in my office yeah it's super simple and it's like man I couldn't imagine and it sounds good and it sounds good totally right um but just like the idea of like where we are now being able to like track is that simple and even like the iPhone voice memo to like how hard we worked on those demos with Noel and Brian to have them, you know, just at that time, just like, man, for that price and whatever, that sound quality just wasn't there. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a, it's like the old guy, you know, I, I feel like we're at that stage where we're kind of like, you know, back in the day you had to earn it. Oh, 
but it's kind of true. You know, I think that's a, that's a, there's an upside obviously to having everything accessible now, being able to self-release, you know, distribute, but the barrier to entry is non-existent, right? Like pretty much anyone can do it. Um, You and I can make a song in 10 minutes and it could be on Apple music this afternoon, you know? Right. Right. So it's, it's kind of like created this, this, uh, literal flood of music and uh, so how do you feel about that like do you, do you think it's harder or easier to make a living now as a musician I mean obvi- obviously it's not your full time gig but like, yeah. what, like like, do you think it's been a benefit to musicians or or, or I mean, is it, I, I think it's, it's allowed too many in the gate <laughs> you don't want to be pretentious yeah like, well <laughs> no I mean I think I think that like it's well it's easier and there's a ton more musicians I still think like unless you've got like a big publishing deal or some licensing stuff, like your money's coming from like performing. Right. And right, then, right. and right now and that that's just crazy. You know, right now it's like sort of happening again. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, for, for a guy like for what I do, you know, not making any money off putting out music. And I think the idea of releasing songs is just, I don't know. It's just, it's made everybody more fickle. You know, there's no, um, there's no work to play an album, you know, put a CD in and and stuff like that. Um, and that's why I I think like, even with Crenshaw, like I've got friends like, well, are you guys going to put out like a full length? I'm like, no, we're just gonna keep releasing singles because that's all anybody's got the attention span for anymore. So why am I going to work so hard? I couldn't imagine like, even with beloved, like, working so hard especially now you know we just released that song abyss it's like i couldn't imagine working that hard to release like an album of like 10 or 12 songs and it gets the same attention span that that one song we just released did um so i mean i just i think it's different i mean it's cool that anybody can release a song you know that they want i think that's great you know there's less hoops to jump through but financially, it's just a different game, and I don't even know if I know that game anymore. Right? Yeah, for sure. Was there was there a song uh, that you've written with Beloved that was kind of like the song for you? Um, I think for us as a band, we have a song "Death to Traitors" that was always like at the shows, like live shows. That was always like the one. So that kind of became the song that was synonymous with us. But we had a song called uh, "Rise and Fall." on our record and that's my favorite one we ever wrote there's something about it i think for a couple of us in there that's like our favorite song um it's really heavy but it's it's got its i don't know man they're all special some are a little more special to me than others and I don't know why maybe it's just the way the music goes or maybe it's what I play there it's just I don't know it's where anymore it's all almost like nostalgia more than than kind of being in it even though we're in it right now I still think it's a lot of nostalgia to it like remembering where we were when we wrote those parts and stuff like that more so than just like playing it now because playing it now they're all special sure they're all fun yeah 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 and over the over the years, you know, you've obviously been with a few different projects with different sounds. Um, 
is that on purpose? Like, do you just enjoy playing different styles or, or is it just kind of like, Hey, it's more, again, more relationship based. Someone yeah. asks you to play and you're like, cool, I'll play this style. And- yeah. Well, like for me, it definitely was relationship based. Cause like beloved kind of ended abruptly. Um, and from there I went into a band called dead poetic who we'd been on tour with. And I knew those guys and they were kind of in that same position. They were like kind of falling apart. They're either going to like get some new members or just stop it. So I was friends with those guys jumped in. And like I said, you're in your twenties. So it's like that band was based out of Ohio. We rehearsed in upstate New York. I was getting married, moving from North Carolina to Philadelphia. It's like all this crazy stuff that nowadays I'd be like, dude, there's no way in hell I'm trying to like sort that out. But you know, when you're, when you're 23 or whatever, sure. And you're friends with those guys and it's whatever. It's that, like we said, that, that 20 mid 20 safety net. You don't really care if you have one or not, you right. know, just go do it. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. That band ended abruptly. And as we were recording the record that we were going to eventually put out um, right when we broke up, um, Aaron from Under Oath, who I'd known from since like 2001, was recording the first Almost record with the same producer immediately after us. And he, he was kind of like, well, if I ever get a band, you should come play guitar. So it literally just went from there to there to there. So it was like super relationship based. And it turned out like as I got into that stuff, like when I joined Dead Poetic, they were kind of screamy, singy, not really as heavy as Beloved, still aggressive. But as we kind of got together, it was like a new band. And we were just like, oh, man, like it'd be really cool to write songs that kind of sound like the Deftones or like old, like old Stone Temple Pilots and Helmet and stuff that we kind of grew up listening to. It'd be really cool to kind of almost revoice the band that way. So it kind of really dove into that, you know, and then when I joined the Almost, it was, um, when I joined that, the record was already done. So that was like, that was like, I've got a job to learn these songs. And then we started writing, but the sound had kind of already been established there. So, I mean, I just kind of like dive into it and, and, and Crenshaw was that was that Crenshaw. We were just a backing band for a girl. Kind of put a band together. Oh, really? We backed up, uh, yeah, a girl named Tiffany, and she was just like modern country. And we would all kind of get together and just like play Tom Petty songs together. And we we're like, man, it'd just be cool to make like an Americana kind of rock band. So we did some shows with her, and then we were kind of like, well, let's just kind of do our own thing. And um, we did that, and that's musically is the most probably gratifying most. Thing that's like in my wheelhouse yeah. is like that kind of rock music, okay. you know. So, yeah. yeah. You guys had a pretty big show. What was it two weeks ago? But yeah. Jim Blossom's gig was really cool, man. That was uh. Dusty and I were talking about that. You know, I was like, I don't, I don't remember anything that Jim Blossom's wrote, and he's like, Hold on one second. <laughs> <laughs> Hold my beer. <laughs> he proceeded to play me like. About six songs. I was like, oh, yeah, I can sing every single one of those songs. And you, like, remember where you were, like, yeah. when you heard those songs. It's, it is so true, man. It's it's a really, I think, you know, I, I was on YouTube. You know, like, you, you guys have, I think, two videos out that I watched, like, beloved videos. And just reading people's comments. Um, and I think, it again, it always happens at that age, but music it was so important and i think even in the hardcore scene back then it was it was like a lifestyle for people right right Right? like it was it was um the band i played in wasn't hardcore we ended up playing with a lot of hardcore bands and it was always awkward because we were like the one that wasn't yeah 
But those are the bands that like all the hardcore dudes in the bands actually like watched. And yeah, like it's true. It's yeah. true. It's yeah. true. But the but the fan base and like how how people like lived and breathed. Um, it reading the comments under your video today just it reminded me of that of that culture back then. It probably still exists, right? I'm just not in it anymore. But um, did that did that like mean something to you? Like when I mean like what. One kid wrote on there, and he's a grown adult. He's like, "You guys literally saved me from killing myself when I was a teenager." Yeah, those like are, your music. I mean, that's in, that's, that's insane, crazy stuff, man. That's crazy stuff. But I mean, it's all like that scene, and I mean, the hardcore, the hardcore scene as a whole, and especially like that that kind of Christian Mitchy side of the hardcore scene was really a big community. And it's like, I was thinking about it last night, actually, like what that would have been like. Like at that time, if like social media right. was more of a thing, because it was crazy how social it was then, before all that. Yeah. And we had what MySpace. MySpace had like I remember MySpace. I was in the almost by the time the My, MySpace was, oh, really, was really was really like a thing. I think. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, beloved. I don't think it was really much of anything like then. Yeah. So. Um, it, it was all relational. It was all talking at shows and, and meeting people in real life, which was super cool. And then now kind of getting back into it, it's cool seeing a bunch of those people who were along for the ride then, or, you know, we got, I feel like there's more people that came after, after we broke up, they're like, Oh man, I found out about you guys like a year after you broke up and played your last show. Um, that's been really, really, really cool. Uh, but there, there's these, uh, Facebook groups, like there's one for furnace fest. Um, that's awesome. Cause it's all those people that were around back then. And they're yeah. all like, you know, it, it's, it's cool seeing everybody there and like in their thirties. That's going to be a trip. So for all you that are like me, furnace fest hasn't happened in 20 years. Right. Yeah. So, and, and dusty said that they're pretty much inviting back all the bands or at least trying to get a lot of the original bands. That's gonna be like a time capsule, man. It's it really cool. is. It's just like opening it up, you know, there's definitely there's definitely more bands that I think played I don't know, maybe it's about sixty sixty five, like thirty five or whatever for bands that played the original versus some new ones. But it's it's really cool. It's like a lot of the new bands are coming in. It's almost like they were that generation right behind. Yeah. So it was like really cool. The ones that were like directly influenced by a lot of the bands that are playing. Yeah. So yeah, dude, it's awesome. It's it's you know, um it's like next weekend, so we're yeah, we're we're pumped. Do you hope your boys play music? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope their music. <laughs> I hope they're musical. Um, and I'd love for them to be in a, in bands. I just I, I I think music just does a lot for for kids and and for people. It just as long as they're creative, you know, man. Like you guys are creative as as long as like your kids are creative. They're not just staring at Fortnite all day. That's the struggle. Right, right. That is a struggle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. But I'd love it. I'd love it. Um, Dillinger, Dillinger plays guitar, so oh, yeah. like he plays a little guitar. So we'll get in and and jam. So it's all like it's drop tuned for him. So he can like he likes like a lot of gain on the amp and stuff like that. So he like he likes it, you know. And he came. We rehearsed last night, like I told you, like a full legit rehearsal and. Uh, the boys came and like Asher doesn't really care, but I want him to go cause Asher probably won't be at the shows. Um, 
I'll probably bring Dillinger to one of the Ramcat gigs, but uh, this is like, you know, going to be their shot to see this band. So, but Asher, he just was like crazy and running around, you know, he'll remember it, but Dillinger was cool looking over and he was like into it. He was into it. You know, they've got like the drum kit in my office and guitars and stuff. So whenever they want it, whatever they want. Yeah, they can do it. Well, cool, man. Thanks for sitting down today and talking about the past. I know we've talked about it quite a bit personally, but, um, it's, uh, it's always interesting to hear about, about just the musical journeys and kind of where people are at now. And, and, uh, I think it's, it's one of those things too, where people look at musicians and they're kind of like, uh, uh, almost like you don't really care about things, but it was a big, that was like a big moment, like a formative time in your life. Right. Like, like that carries a lot of weight and to be revisiting that I kind of put myself in, in your shoes. Like what if, the band that I was in back then, if we played again, like it would be, there's like a lot to it, you know, like, um, and you guys have all stayed local. So that probably helps, but, uh, um, it just means something. It's not just guys trying to be rock stars. Right. You know, I I don't know. I'm not really phrasing it right, but, um, I kind of empathize for in a, in a good way. Like it's probably the the next, you guys are doing three shows. You said, Mm -hmm. yeah. So it'll be a fun, I'm looking forward to it for you, you know, to to have that time with with the guys and yeah, it's gonna be crazy. Like, no expectation, right? I think that's a that's a fun part about yeah, it. Yeah, really, no expectation, and it's just like I said, it's just gonna be more of just like it's not just like us; it's everybody that's coming there, right. you know. Right. Like like we were talking about Furnace Fest, isn't this gonna be one of the first like big festivals that we ever played as Beloved, where we didn't have to really prove anything. And it's like, I was telling the guys last night, I was like, I think it's going to be like a really like, just like uplifting environment the whole time rather than like arms crossed guys on the front that may get into us, you know, once we hit some breakdowns or do something cool, like dude, people are, I think, you know, the people that are going to come see us are coming to see us and it's going to be cool. And we're all going to be together and it's going to be fun. And, and you might, I mean, they're all, they're all, close to 40 now if not 40 so you might see a guy throw out a back or two yeah there's there, it's gonna be it's gonna be that smell of ben gay in the pit you know like if that you menthol pills it's it's just advil yeah it's yeah, not- yeah yeah don't worry nothing nothing crazy going on in the bathroom just like guys stretching out doing like ddp yoga in the bathroom or something oh shoot well thanks again man um you guys you can you can check out i'll, I'll drop their links on here so you can check out their their, their old music and then what he's doing with Crenshaw and uh, and links to, to tickets for Furnace Fest if you want to check it out it'd definitely be worthwhile it's kind of within a, you know driving distance so hope you guys have a good one hopefully you enjoyed the time Dusty thanks my man and we'll we'll talk to you again it's been the Coffee Life this is Sean Scott take care